Welcome, friends, to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It is May 18th, and we are reading through the Bible together. And as we do so, we're picking up important elements, the vocabulary of redemption, as it were, that help us to understand the big picture of what God accomplishes in the person and work of His Son. My name is David McAdam, and I am happy to serve as your tour guide as we read through the daily portion from the Old and New Testaments in the One Year Bible Reading Plan. You can pick up a copy of the One-Year Bible at your local bookstore. We give them out to those in our area who show an interest in reading the world's number one bestseller. We include a small invitation card to let them know that they can download the One-Year Bible Tour Guide podcast wherever they get their podcasts. We're seeing how it makes a difference in people's lives. And if you would like to share your story, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us by email by writing to us at podcast at newlife.org. Also, you may like to receive a written copy of the companion commentary that we are sharing for each day's scripture portions with illustrations, diagrams, and maps. You can subscribe for this free service by going to our website, newlife.org. That's one word, newlife, N-E-W-L-I-F-E dot O-R-G. We are currently reading through the book of 1 Samuel. Israel has entered into the period of the kings. King Saul is on the throne, but God has rejected him. David has been anointed to reign, but he is now a fugitive, a foreshadowing of the despised and rejected anointed one, the Messiah. These are hard times for David. We call this period in David's life the Adullam days, as David's headquarters are not in a palace, but in a cave. The name Adullam means a hiding place. The true anointed king is now hidden from the people's understanding. This reminds us that one day the nation of Israel will recognize their true Messiah, even though today he may be their despised and rejected king. Note the prophecy of Israel's ultimate recognition of the Messiah and their repentance in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We look forward to the day when the one true Savior of the world is no longer hidden from people's eyes. And let's pray as we begin our Bible reading today that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and that we would see more of God's majesty in His work of redemption, that we would look beyond the earthly kings and see the King of kings. So, Father, we ask that You would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of Your Word. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We humble our hearts before your word, and we say, Speak, Lord, your servants hear, and we ask this in Jesus' name. So let's begin today's Bible reading from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. David at the Cave of Adullam David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul 
gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of David give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait, as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, and captain over your bodyguard, and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day eighty-five persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped, and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Chapter 23 Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. 
But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. When Abiathar the son of Ahimelech had fled to David to Kilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Kilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horash, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horash, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come! 
for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. This is the end of today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of First Samuel. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. Welcome to David's Adullam Days. Wilhelm Gesenius's Hebrew and Chaldee lexicon to the Old Testament scriptures provide notes supporting Adullam as meaning a hiding place. David is on the run from a jealous King Saul who has become obsessed with the idea of killing him. David's brothers, parents, and a devoted following of those who were in distress, in debt, and discontent join him in a dark cave of Adullam. This reminds us of the fact that the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, gathers to himself those who recognize their true condition of needing salvation. They recognize they have a debt to God's holy law they cannot pay. They are in distress because they are under a sentence of death and subject to the fear of death. And they are discontent knowing that they are made for something more. The term, the cave of Adullam, has been used by political commentators to refer to any small group that has been ousted from power but planning to return. David's ability to motivate and shape these malcontents into a ragtag army of 400 is a testimony to David's resourcefulness and his leadership skills. The fighting band of 400 men will eventually number 600 and become known as David's mighty men in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. They gather around David, their hero, who himself is an outlaw. For four to eight years, we don't know for sure, David would wander in the wilderness as the despised and rejected yet duly anointed king of Israel. King Saul is still on the throne, although God has rejected his rule. David and his men would be hunted by Saul. During this time, David would be given opportunities to kill his oppressor, but he respected God's ways and did not want to force God's hand in ascending to the throne. He acknowledged God's sovereign working and would not take Saul's life unfairly. In 1 Samuel 26, verse 23, he says, I refused to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David commits his parents to the care of the neighboring king of Moab, where they will remain during the period that David was in the hold. The prophet Gad tells David to leave the territory in which he has been seeking refuge and return to his own tribal land of Judah. David returns to Judah and makes his new hideout in the forest of Hereth, much the way we imagine Robin Hood operated out from Sherwood Forest. When Saul hears that David's whereabouts have been discovered, Saul once again displays his mean-spirited paranoia. He is suspicious that all his former supporters are betraying him or will soon do so. He asserts that he is worthy of his people's allegiance and can win them personal favors. Yet those who defected from following Saul had done so because of his oppressive rule. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, the defectors are described as being in debt. Most likely they owed money due to King Saul's taxation. They are also described as suffering distress and discontent. The ESV translates discontent as being bitter of soul. Saul promises commissions, promotions, and career opportunities to all who remain loyal to him. But when Saul orders that Ahimelech and the priests at Nob be killed, only Doeg, the evil Edomite and herdsman, volunteers to kill them. 
Saul's anger is so out of proportion that he also demands that every man, woman, child, infant, and animal in the town of Nob be slain. When David is told of this atrocity, he traces it back to his own rash behavior in putting Ahimelech's life in jeopardy. He feels responsible and tries to make amends. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 22 and 23. David makes an offer to Abiathar, the sole survivor of Saul's brutal attack on Ahimelech and the people of Nob. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. Unlike Saul, David sees the importance of knowing and obeying God's will. He has heeded the counsel of the prophet Gad. He continues to inquire of the Lord. As a result of hearing and believing the word of God, David has the confidence to fight the Philistines and save the people of Kilah. When his troops are frightened by David's marching orders, he inquires again, and the Lord promises to give the Philistines into his hand. Saul discovers that David is defending Kilah. He sends his troops to besiege David and his men. David once again seeks the Lord and inquires to know his mind. David is cultivating a habit of seeking God's wisdom. We've seen him heed the spoken word of the prophet Gad, representing the objective word of God through the inspired written word. We have seen him put his confidence in God's word as it is witnessed to his heart by the Holy Spirit. Now we see David making inquiry of the Lord through the mediation of the anointed priest and his ephod. He possibly could have appealed to the priest's use of the Urim and Thummim stones stored in the priest's breastplate, or the casting of lots. You would have thought the people of Kilah would have been grateful that David delivered them from their enemies. However, when inquiring of the Lord, David is warned that unless he leaves Kilah, the people of Kilah will turn on him. David is learning a lesson. The name Kilah means fortress. The foundation of our trust must not be the fortresses of men. We must recognize the fallen nature of sinful man. We are not to anchor our trust in other people. Jesus would not commit himself to man because he knew what was in man. In John chapter 2, verse 24, The Lord alone is our fortress. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 18, verse 2. David's army has now grown to 600 men. They flee to the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Jonathan meets David there and they renew their covenant. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 18. Jonathan has a vision for David becoming king, but presumes that he will be second to him. Sadly, this will not happen. The Ziphites betray the location of David's hideout to King Saul, so David moves to the wilderness of Maon. Saul hears of it and pursues nearly surrounding David's army. However, Saul is interrupted by a messenger who redirects him to fight a raiding party of Philistines. David sees that the Lord is providentially delivering him from harm once again. Consequently, the place where David's army was being surrounded is called the Rock of Escape. David moves on to the strongholds in the wilderness of En Gedi, located near the Dead Sea. The events and emotions that David experiences during the dark days when he is wandering with his men as a fugitive in the wilderness, become the subject matter of David's psalms that will foreshadow the sufferings of the truer and greater David, the despised and rejected king, the beloved of the Father, Jesus Christ. 
The name David or David means beloved in Hebrew. Scholars believe that David is referring to his experience of being surrounded by Saul's army in the wilderness at Maon when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In 1 Samuel 23, verse 26, we read of the incident. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. David says, They hated me without a cause. Psalm 69, verse 4. He's referring to Saul and his men. Jesus refers to this psalm as a prophecy concerning himself. In John chapter 15, verse 25, But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now let's move on in our tour to the New Testament as we read from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. I am the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And this concludes our reading from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to John. Jesus is addressing the man who was born blind, whom he healed, and who was cast out of the temple. He contrasts the Pharisaical community at the temple with the company of the redeemed who put their trust in him. The leaders of apostate Judaism are false shepherds, as recorded in Ezekiel chapter 34, and Israel has become a false vine, as prophesied in Hosea chapter 10 verse 1. 
Jesus is the true and good shepherd in John chapter 10 verse 11, and he is the true vine in John chapter 15 verse 1. The gate represents the requirements of the law and the prophets regarding the Christ, the anointed king, priest, prophet, and judge. Jesus is identified as the qualified Messiah. He is the prophesied good shepherd described in Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. The man whom Jesus healed was formerly blind from birth and a regular attender as a beggar in the temple. Now that he sees clearly and honors his healer, he is perceived as a threat by the religious authorities and is put out of the temple, which Jesus now describes as the sheep pen of the false shepherds. Jesus lets the healed outcast know that he is loved, cared for, and in the company of the good shepherd himself. Jesus declares that he is the gate to the true sheepfold. He does not pen you up in darkness and legalism. He leads you into good pasture. He has come that you may have life. The false shepherds of Israel are thieves and robbers. They disregard the witness of the law and the prophets to the good shepherd. Jesus is the sovereign shepherd who calls the sheep by name. In saying that he is the gate, Jesus is using a figure of speech to make clear to the healed blind man that he is the way of salvation. Jesus wants the excommunicated beggar to know that those who put him out of the temple were thieves, robbers, murderers, inspired by the god of this age, Satan. It is a remarkably true phenomenon that sheep do recognize the rightful shepherd's voice. In the morning, shepherds call their sheep out of the fold, and they assemble before the shepherd and follow him. This good shepherd will provide what the sheep need by laying down his life as an atonement for sin. He will not run away from his responsibility as the good shepherd, knowing that it will cost his life. His sacrifice is necessary for the salvation of his sheep. In Jesus' illustration, the sheepfold represents Israel. When Jesus refers to other sheep, he's referring to the Gentiles. They will hear his voice and follow. Jesus' unique authority as God the Son is not just that he can raise the dead, he can raise himself from the dead. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Some respond to Jesus' words, saying, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Others recognize that Jesus, who opened the eyes of the man born blind, is also opening their eyes 
to see who he truly is. Now we go on in our one-year Bible tour to the book of Psalms, the Bible songbook. We're reading Psalm 115. Devin Wagner will be reading today, verses 1 through 18. To your name give glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Devin. The heart of true worshipers is found in Psalm 115, verse 1. In our contemporary culture that is so consumer-driven and ego-flattering, our thoughts are often directed to who we are and our natural preferences. True worshipers are occupied with who God is and what He desires. True worshipers seek the glorification of who God is, that is His name, rather than themselves, in verse 1. True worshipers will recognize and give thanks for God's love and faithfulness, in verse 2. True worshipers will recognize God's sovereignty over all. He does whatever pleases Him, in verse 3. True worshipers will not make idols for themselves, in verses 4-7. through We become like what we worship, in verse 8. Are we becoming more like Christ? Are we being more actively conformed to His image or images that are fashioned by our deceitful hearts or wayward culture? The Lord will bless those who trust in Him. The psalmist exhorts the house of His covenant people to continue to trust Him. He calls upon the royal priesthood to recognize Him as their help and shield and not to turn to those who make idle claims as potential deliverers and saviors. Be thankful for where and why our God has sovereignly placed you on earth, in verse 16. You are to glorify and praise Him forever, in verse 18. And now we travel to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. These proverbs call for a Holy Spirit-controlled temperament of diligence and anger management. We also see how our attitudes and actions affect others. If we are lazy, we are making it more difficult for others. But if we are diligent, our work will make it easier for others to follow and others can benefit from and build upon our labors. Now let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are our fortress. You understand our ways and are with us, even in our wilderness wanderings. 
Through the adulam days of our difficulties, we identify with the heart cries of the psalmist that reflect the sufferings of our truer and greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only trustworthy rock, our only trustworthy fortress and help. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life so we who were dead in our sins could come alive, hear his voice, and follow him into our promised inheritance, the green pastures of our salvation. We pray that many more people will come to know the transformative power of the gospel today. So not to us, but to your name be all the glory. And we ask this, trusting in the merits of your Son on our behalf. Amen. Well, that's a wrap on today's readings, and we want to thank you for being a part of this Bible reading community, and God willing, we will be with you again tomorrow. Again, if you would like to contact us or you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more information about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may you know the joy of the Holy Spirit shedding abroad in your hearts the love of God 